0: Let's pray together. Father, we will reach the end by grace and grace alone. And so I pray as we look at this passage about how not to lose heart on the way to the end, you would do that work. Make this moment by your spirit, through your word, a means of persevering to the end in faith, in marriage, in ministry, in hope, and let none fall out. We know that we cannot survive, let alone thrive, in this great warfare without almighty grace. So I ask that it would come. Come Holy Spirit and move in this room to lift up those who are sinking and to strengthen by your power those who are weak in themselves. And would you make this day beyond all expectation a catalyst for something extraordinary in this city and this island. All of Great Britain, indeed, spread it out around the world. Lord, we want not to stamp our arrows on the ground too few times as we start. Come, do more, do more than anyone expected for themselves or movement of your Gospel, I pray. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you still have your Bibles open because uh, I didn't tell anybody, but I'm going to go ahead and read the rest of the chapter because I deal with the rest of the chapter. So here we go. We're at verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that his grace extends to more and more people. It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So, we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day for this slight or light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not only to the things As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. My goal uh, for us in the next few minutes is that you would not lose heart in ministry. That this message would be a means of your not losing heart. I'm going to be focusing Verse 16 is the center. We do not lose heart. You heard it back in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. I think verse 16, verse 1 are the top of the argument. By main point in a text, I mean that point which is supported by everything else and supports nothing. So that's what I mean by main point. And I think verse 16 is the main point. In this text, everything is supporting this. So my aim is that that verse would come true for you. Now, as we're together, and then that you would have resources for daily renewal. That's the end of the verse. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. So the negative side, don't lose heart. Positive Be renewed every day. Get up every morning and be able to be new for the work. New for the family. New for the city. That's the goal of that verse and this chapter. Probably the book. Moral failure is a big reason why ministries collapse. Discouragement is a much bigger issue. Doesn't get any press. Things just die, and they never get in the paper. And so I want to address that issue mainly. I was asked a couple days ago with Richard, when we were doing this little five-minute video, what's personally very thrilling to you about Jesus right now? Well, I, I said, without any hesitation, he keeps me. I'm 69. I've I've finished the 33 years of pastoring at Bethlehem. I work for Desiring God. I teach a course in seminary. But a huge part of my life is over. Huge part of my life is over. And I look back with absolute amazement that I made it. So I brought along an excerpt from my journal dated... November 6, 1986. So I'm now 40 years old. Raise your hand if you're 40. Give or take a year. Okay. This is a dangerous time. Very dangerous. People write books on men in midlife crisis. It's real. It starts at 41 and a half. That's what one book said. I I have no idea, but... I was 40, and... I'll just read, now this is, I was at the church six years now when I wrote this, and after it's over, I will stay another 27 years. It won't sound that way, quote, does this mean my time at Bethlehem is over? I won't give you the the context, (laughs) you can ask me later. Does it mean that there is a radical alternative unforeseen? Does it mean that I am simply in the pits today and unable to feel the beauty and the power and the joy and fruitfulness of an expanded facility or ministry? Oh Lord, have mercy on me. I am so discouraged. I am so blank. I feel like there are opponents on every hand Even when I know that most of my people are for me, I am so blind to the future of the church. Oh, Father, I am blind because, am I blind because uh, there is no future for me at the church? Perhaps I shall not even live out the year and you are sparing the church the added burden of a future I had made and could not complete. I do not doubt for a moment your goodness and power or omnipotence in my life or in the life of the church. I confess that the problem is mine. The weakness is mine. The blindness is in my eyes. The sin, oh, reveal to me my hidden faults, is mine. Mine is the blame. Have mercy upon me, Father. Have mercy on me. I must preach on Sunday, and I can scarcely lift lift my head. That is probably not a rare journal entry. <laughs> so you're dealing with the real emotional basket case up here. <laughs> I don't know if you might have seen it online. John MacArthur came to one of our pastors' conferences a few years ago and we did a panel. John MacArthur never had a bad day in his life. <laughs> we 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 were somebody addressed the question to us, well, tell us about a down day, John MacArthur. Tell us about a down day. He said, can't think of one. <laughs> I just looked at him and said, you're from another planet. You are weird. And then, I, and then I told him about when Noelle and I, she's down here, she'll remember this. We were at Ben Patterson's house in California. He planted the church in Irvine, California years ago. And I was right around this same time and Noel finds me on the steps of this house that we're getting for vacation. I'm crying. She said, what's wrong? And I said, I don't have any idea. And MacArthur looked at me like I was from another planet. Irrational like, <laughs> tears? Why would you have that? You're a Christian. So, that's who's talking to you. Verse 16. This is really, really important and beautiful. So I hope you get it. Verse 16. The first thing I want to do is linger on the word lose heart. Because I found that in just tracking down the uses of the word in Paul, it helped to know, well, what are we talking about? What kind of situations would Paul possibly either lose heart or think of others losing heart from which he's trying to rescue them. And let me give you all the instances of this word enkakeo in Paul. Number one, I mean, here's one from Jesus. This is all the uses in the New Testament. Jesus, Luke 18, 1. Always pray and do not lose heart. So what is the the danger there? You're not getting what you asked for. That's why Jesus says that, right? Always keep praying and don't lose heart. Then he tells the story about the widow who's knocking on the door of the judge. Jesus envisions people losing heart because he's not responding fast enough. That's why he said it. So there's, there's event number one. Unanswered longings and prayers that you've sent up to God for 20 years. Like one of your children. Or, or whatever you've been aching for and hasn't happened. Number two, Ephesians 3.13 Do not lose heart in what I am suffering for you. Now, wh- wh- what's that? What would that be in your experience? This movement is so embattled and leaders are so opposed, what use is it for me? Do not lose heart over what I am suffering for you. So to see one of, one of your champions suffering, or to see the movement so resisted that you lose heart. Number three, two texts almost the same. Galatians 6.9, let us not grow weary, same word, lose heart, in doing good. Second Thessalonians 3.13, do not grow weary, same word, do not lose heart, in doing good. You do so much good, and nothing's happening. So I'm tired of doing good. I'm going to stop doing good. I know missionaries who have lasted nine fruitful years on the field and quit resisting their lust, shacked up with 18 prostitutes, left his wife. I'm just tired of fighting the fight after nine Fruitful years in ministry. It's not going to do good anymore. I'm just going to do what I want to do. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart in doing good. And lastly, right here in our text, Second Corinthians chapter four, verse one. I'm going to do a little translation alteration here. Therefore, here 's ESV. I'm working out of the ESV. Therefore, having this ministry. By the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Now here's, here's literal, literal translation. And the reason this means a lot to me is because when I was a graduate student in Germany, in 1973 or four, I was coming to the end of my studies. I didn't know what I was going to do. I had a wife and a baby, no job, and I wanted to minister the Word. And I wrote to Dan Fuller, my loved mentor at, at seminary, and he wrote back this verse with a literal translation, and the kathos in Greek, right across the top of his letter. Kathos, just as, goes like this. You can look in your Greek if you have it. Therefore, and you got it on your phone, don't you? Got your Greek on your phone? Even if you don't know Greek, you would got to have your Greek on your phone, and then a little program to teach you how to learn it while you're waiting for the bus. Therefore having this ministry just as we received mercy. And he argued that means just as the mercy came to you freely that saved you ministry is given to you freely. Just as freely. Just as mercifully. And he just said God will give it to you. Trust him. He'll give it to you. You don't know where it's going to be, but he'll give it to you. And one door opened. One door changed the rest of my life. I'd never been to Minnesota, never heard of Bethel College. That's the door that opened. I took it. I had a wife. I had a kid. You go through an open door. You you support your family. You get a job. And so we've lived there for 40 years. You think you plan your life? You don't. God plans your life, and that's really good. That's okay. Just keep the room clean where you are. Walk through the next door. When it opens, and he'll make it clear. Okay, that, that's the word. All I wanted to do was just set up the word. Don't lose heart. Those are the ways that Jesus and Paul used angkakeo. So now what I want to do is show you the structure of this passage and eight reasons not to lose heart because that's the way I think the text is built. So look at the verse, look at verse 16 and I hope if, if, if these words or something like them are not in your text change versions. The first word is so or it might be therefore. One of those two maybe there's another English equivalent but we need a therefore at the front, right? So so is in the ESV. So we do not lose heart. And at the end, as verse 17 starts, 17 starts with four. Now that's really significant. That, that totally controls how I handle this text. So here's, here's what I see. Verse 16 is like a table, and on it is this luscious exhortation and hope that we will not lose heart and that we will be renewed every day And at the front of it is a therefore, and at the back of it is a because. Now, how would you draw that? Well, the therefore means something has been said back here that supports that, right? I'm hungry, therefore I eat. So it supports the table like this. And I eat because I'm hungry. Another support. So here's the table, here's the supports. And I know, you don't know yet, but I know that those supports are four legs each. There are four becauses, and there are four words leading to the therefore. Which means that the way Paul thinks is that there are grounds, there are truth grounds for not losing heart. And that if the Holy Spirit would come to you as you hear the grounds open, either in personal devotions or listening to me, winds of hope would blow into your life and you would be able to keep on going. So now I'm going to take it off, Richard. He said, Why are you wearing that? I said, Oh, it's just habit. So, verse 16 is the main point, the table on which we are going to feast on the promise of not losing heart and the promise of being renewed and I want to back up to verse 7 and start there and get the four legs that are supporting it on this side and then start with verse 17 and go to the end of the chapter and get the four legs that are supporting it on the other side but before we do that, notice one other thing in verse 16 so we do not lose heart we haven't said anything about this little phrase, though our outer nature is wasting away. So the promise of, of not losing heart, or Paul's statement of his own experience of not losing heart, which he wants to share with us, and being renewed every day, the, the, the reality of those two wonderful things are accompanied by dying. His, his body is dying, Right? Isn't that what it, it means? Though our outer nature is decaying, wasting away, being destroyed, dying. And I, we, we'll see more evidence for this, but I think that doesn't just mean he's aging. Aging is something everybody will go through, and you know 50, 60, next year for me, 70, you're dying. You are. Your days are getting shorter and shorter on the earth. And you're getting closer and closer to Jesus. Face to face. So when he says don't lose heart, when he says be renewed, he means in loss. There will be no alternative. You will not have a season of life with no loss. It will always be with loss. It will always be embattled. He's not naive whatsoever. Even in the verse where he's promising don't lose heart and be renewed, he's saying this is why we're, we're decaying. Okay, so that's what's going to be supported. And he will never lose sight of that middle phrase, ever. Every one of these eight arguments, take that into account. Okay, so we start at verse... 7. I could go back earlier, but just to make it manageable, I'm going to do 7 through 18 for uh, these eight arguments. Number one. So these are, so here's the table. Here's the four legs at each end. These four legs are coming from verses 7 through 15, which are followed by, therefore. Number one, verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay, earthen vessels, clay pots, which means decaying, aging, embattled, sickness, everything else that depletes us, depletes us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. Therefore, do not lose heart. I'm going to say that after every one of these because I think that's where, this, that's where this text is going. It's going to that big therefore in verse 16. So, you have the gospel glory. If we wanted to go back to verses 4 through 6, we would see it's the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. That's the glory that you have. That's the treasure that you have in this clay pot of your personality and your body And he says, the reason it's in your kind of ordinariness, your kind of weakness, your kind of clay, is so that the surpassing power will be manifestly of God, if anything good, comes from your ministry. And Paul says, that's a ground for not losing heart. Why is that a ground for not losing heart? There's a missing premise in the argument. The missing premise is, God loved, Paul loves the display of the glory of God more than he loves life. That makes the argument work. Without it, the argument doesn't work. I mean, if you tell me, I'm weak, Jesus looks great when I'm weak, and I don't particularly like him looking great at my expense. I say, that does not help me not lose heart. I lose heart when I am used like that. Oh, how many people feel that way. When you elevate the glory of Christ, the glory of God above their welfare on this earth, they don't like it. I mean, just think of it. His power is made perfect in my weakness. Therefore, I will all the more gladly boast in my weaknesses. Chapter 12. Well, what kind of weird person are you? You get happy when you're broken, you're hurt, you're in battle. You go down, he goes up, and you get happy. That's right. If, if you don't share that priority, this message will not help you. So you've got to come to terms with whether or not you share Paul's heart for Jesus. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I count everything as lost if I can see him go up and me go down. I don't like going down, but if Jesus goes up when I go down in this community, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged. That's number one. Number two. Oh, you know what? There are two, th- uh, two other verses where this is said. So, I'm going to read those verse, verse, ten. Same point. So three verses for the first point. Verse ten: always carrying about in my body the dying of Jesus. So another way of saying our body's wasting away. Always carrying about in my body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. Same point as verse seven. Verse eleven for we who live are always being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh same point you can't miss it 7, 10, 11 same point we are dying we are wasting away we are clay pots why? his life his glory his fame which means if you don't love his fame above, you, above everything you will not survive in Christ exalting ministry but if you do then you will have a way to see your weaknesses number two two of eight so this is second in the, in the legs here four legs supporting on the therefore side number two verse twelve so Death is at work in us, but life in you. Therefore, do not lose heart. Now, this is a different argument, isn't it? The first argument was, Christ looks great when I am weak for his sake. And this one says, you get life when I am dying. So death is at work in us, but life in you. This runs all through 2 Corinthians. In chapter 1, we are suffering for your sake so that you might be encouraged with the same encouragement we had from God. There is a profound principle here that you all know. Jesus saves sinners by dying for them. And so do his ministers. Not in the same way. <laughs> we, we don't atone for anybody's sins. But he has ordained that this life through death not end with his own death. That's what this chapter is saying. Verse 15, to make the same point. Only verse 15 now puts the two legs of support. 1 and 2 together. Verse 15, for all things, all my sufferings, all my experiences, are for your sake. That the grace which is spreading to more and more people through Paul's suffering for them, may cause the giving of thanks to abound and give glory to God. So you got horizontal and vertical here, right? Grace through my suffering, through through all these things I'm talking about. Grace is spreading to more and more people. That's the same as saying life in you in verse 12. And God is getting more and more glory. So argument number one. You won't lose heart in ministry if in your weakness Christ is made to look great and you won't lose heart in ministry if in your weakness and your dying people are being given life through your ministry. But if if your whole orientation is on how to avoid dying, how to avoid suffering, how to avoid looking weak, Paul doesn't have much to say to you because that's not the path of Christ or the path of ministry. Number three verses eight and nine we are afflicted in every way but not crushed perplexed but not despairing persecuted but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed. Therefore, do not lose heart. Those are four amazing pairs. They're they're worth your spending a lot of time thinking about. It's a pretty bleak description of ministry. Afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. And then... He doesn't say but in a few days it goes away. He just says not all the way afflicted, that is not crushed to death, and then he says not despairing in, in my perplexity, though my perplexity may remain, and he doesn't say persecuted, but that, that's over after a little while. He says no, we're just not forsaken in it, and struck down. Well, you won't be struck down tomorrow. Well, maybe you will be, and, but you won't be destroyed. Afflicted, the word flibbo, pressed, pressed but not crushed. Well, how, how much can you be pressed and not crushed? You haven't seen how much you can be pressed and not crushed. Perplexed. That's so encouraging to me. This is an apostle. He gets special revelation, and he's confused. <laughs> you know, I listened. I just listened to Richard uh, talk about wisdom for church planting. And I sat there thinking, I don't know any of this stuff. <laughs> I'm done. I don't know any of this stuff. I've been confused all my ministry how to do church. I just, I just preached and tried to figure things out for thirty three years and ended and handed off the problems to somebody else and, and now he's, I hope preaching and trying to figure things out. I never met a pastor except cocky ones who fall, who know what they're doing. I mean seriously, who, who, who have pastoral care figured out, who have evangelism figured out, who have world missions figured out, who have marriage counseling figured out, who have preaching figured out, and it's all fitting together and I'm totally satisfied with my church. I've never met one. Everybody is perplexed. And some people are perplexed to the point of despair. And Paul says, it isn't going to happen. Isn't that what it says? Perplexed but not despairing. Now, apareo. We are apareo but not ex apareo. means we're perplexed but not perplexed. Out of our mind. That's the meaning. And it, but, but there's a problem with that. In chapter 1 verse 8, remember that one? We were, we felt, we were so unbearably crushed. We felt like we had received the sentence of death. That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raised the dead. That's the word expiare that he's experiencing, which he says here he doesn't experience. So, what do you make of that? Hmm. Paul's not stupid. I'm always the stupid one when I read the Bible. You don't judge the Bible. You humble yourself under here and you try to figure out, okay, what was he doing? What's he doing? By saying, we don't don't get to the ex-opereo. We just get to the opereo. We get perplexed, but we don't get perplexed out of our mind. Well, what he said there was, I felt like I had received the sentence of death, but that was to make me not rely on myself. In other words, he's saying, even if you die, you are not ex-opereo. Even if you die, you are not despairing. So, I was despairing, and God taught me why I don't need to be despairing in the point where I'm almost dead. I'm almost dead. He said, look, I'm just showing you life isn't over when it's over. You will live five seconds beyond death. You have nothing to fear here. Don't be perplexed out of your mind. Forsaken. Persecuted, but not forsaken. I love the phrase, not forsaken. That's where I started. 2 Timothy 4.16, everybody forsook me. That's an amazing statement. Everybody at my first trial forsook me. Next verse, the Lord Jesus stood by me. I preached on that text my first my first anniversary at Bethlehem, 1981. The Lord stood by me. I finished one year in the ministry. Amazing! I was just stunned that I'd made it. I was so green. I, I just came to this church knowing nothing. I'd never, I skipped all the practical courses in seminary. I had preached 15 sermons in my life, maybe total. I'd never married anybody. No, I had married one person, buried nobody, never dated a kid, let alone baptized them. for goodness sakes. And <laughs> And he kept me, and then he did it again, and then he did it again, he did it 33 times. So you can feel why that truth is precious to me. Okay, so therefore, do not lose heart. That's number three. Number four, verse 14. We know that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. In other words, we don't lose heart because it's just gonna be all right when we die. I used to say, you know, I wrote this little book, Risk Is Right. I used to I used to say to our deacons, and we finally took ten years before they learned that they were elders. I used to say to the deacons and the elders, when they were nervous about some plan, just try this. I said they're all nervous. But, well, but, 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 I said, well, what's your worst fear? And they kind of stammered. I said, death, that's your worst fear, right? Yeah, that's, that, that's the worst that could happen. Not a problem. I mean, that one's been solved. I mean, seriously. I mean, take this to your leaders. If they really believe that the death problem is solved, everything else is gravy. It's just a piece of cake. It's what's the big deal? You can only die. I mean, Jesus said that. He said that do not fear him who can, cast, uh, who can only kill the body, and after that they have nothing they can do. Well, how do you paraphrase that? Fear not. You can only die. I said, I preached on that one Thanksgiving, and, I, and one of the wives of the pastors came up to me just shaking, and she said, that's really scary. I said, yes, it is, but it's okay. It's safe. Let's hear it again. We know that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. So he he gets both his wishes. He loves the glory of Jesus and he loves the church. And they're both going to be there. Like, whoa, this is as good as it gets. I rise from the dead with a new body and you are there and he is there. What a life. Therefore, do not lose heart. So, those are the first four standing at this end. One, two, three, four. Therefore, do not lose heart, though your outer nature is wasting away. Be renewed every day. Because. Okay. Now we're on the other side at the because level. And there are four on this side as well. Number one, verse 17. For this. not sure why the ESV switches the order here. I'm going to do it the way it is in the Greek. This momentary light affliction. So stop and camp on the word momentary. What does that mean? Momentary. It doesn't mean one day and it doesn't mean one week and it doesn't mean one year it means a lifetime that's what momentary means Romans 8:18 8, I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us the sufferings of this present time 1 Peter 5:10 after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ Jesus will comfort you. James 4.14 What is your life? You are a mist that flourishes for a little while and then is gone. Paul did not mean in his own case he suffered in November. He meant, I always suffer and it is so short compared to eternity, which is the comparison that he's going to draw. This momentary affliction is working and eternal. So eternal corresponds with momentary and weight of glory corresponds with light we're only working on momentary right now you know in america the effort of advertisers and all manner of commercial interests desperately want people like me to stop working and play it's called retirement They want me to feel, you have earned 20 years of play. To which I say, to hell with that lie. I hate that message. This little three score and ten, and if by reason of strength for me, it lasts another ten years, this is my moment to suffer. And that's almost silly for me to say, look at this, dressed, healthy, talking, arms are working, have eyes, glasses, my ears, not a hearing aid yet, jogged the other morning. What are you talking about? Well, I won't go into details, but you will all suffer to the end. And you will suffer the more, the more people you love and the more people you care about. So, this word momentary here doesn't mean any particular part of Paul's life. It means he has and will, to the end, suffer. And the reason it's good news is that that lifetime is momentary. That's the point of the word. The word momentary there is supposed to lift your burden. But it only lifts your burden if you have a perspective on eternity. If you feel with the advertisers, this is it, man. You get your heaven in the last 20 years of your life. And there is nothing after that. So get your heaven now. That's why it's such a heresy. Come on. You've done your hell. Get your heaven. What a way to view work. And what a way to view old age. It's really pathetic to to see 75-year-old woman trying to get a tan and wear shorts on a golf course in Phoenix. It is pathetic. It is absolutely pathetic. I mean, the man looked ridiculous too. It's really sad. I mean, you want to cry your eyes out and say, come on! You were made for something and it wasn't sun. You don't like the skin color he gave you? Come on! Here is a life to be had after 70. Number two. Verse 17. We'll stay here this momentary light affliction. What does he mean by light? Or slight? A lifetime of suffering is called momentary and a lifetime of suffering is called light. Well, here's what he does not mean. I'll just read chapter 11, verses 23 to 27. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number. Let this sink in. He cannot remember how many times he was beaten. If I was beaten, I would remember. I keep a record. I put it in my journal and write articles about it. That's how vain I am, right? Paul can't even remember. Often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. I cannot imagine that. Five times... Thirty-nine on, on number two or three or four, the typical British Christian or American Christian would say, I'm out of here. If that's the way you treat your children, I am done. Oh, if you don't have a theology that can handle God's ordaining five times 39 lashes opening your back just when they were getting healed until you cannot get up in the morning because of the pain and the stiffness If you have a theology for that, I don't know what you'll do with the life of Paul or texts like these. I was shipwrecked a night and day at sea. I have spent in the deep I have been on frequent journeys, dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, danger on the sea, dangers from false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the present daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. What's the name he puts on that? light. you got to have a world view. you got to have a view of Christ, a view of heaven that makes London and all of its difficulties light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't care how many people are against you. I don't care how many of your kids go bad. I don't care how many people in church have cancer. I don't care how many people leave and go to another church. It is light. Compared to what? Compared to what? Number three. Verse 17. For this momentary light affliction is producing or preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Eye has not seen nor ear heard what God has prepared for those who love him have you come to terms with the word kat er god zetai there producing so light. this light and momentary affliction this life of suffering the lesser lifetime is producing preparing effecting bringing about what does that mean I've heard this dealt with in ways where where the hope is held out just that be encouraged, your life of suffering will be followed by a life of glory that will make it pale in significance. That's absolutely true. This is not what this text says. This text does not say glory that is weighty and eternal comes after suffering. It says it comes because of suffering. In other words, there is a causal connection to the degree of your enjoyment. This is a little bit of interpretation here, so you've got to come to terms your way. The degree of your enjoyment of the glory rises and falls with the way you have handled suffering in this life. Blessed are you and then persecute you and revile you. Say all men of evil against you falsely. Rejoice in that day and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. And even though Jesus doesn't make it explicit like Paul does here, I think the idea there is there is a correlation between that pain and that glory. I believe in degrees of reward, in other words. A lot of texts, I think, teach that. I have not suffered much compared to some of you and to people I've read in history and biography. I've never been tortured. If I get to heaven and those people are not exalted above me, I will have some words with Jesus. he'll have words with me and may set me straight on my theology here, but I will say to the Lord, if Paul is not way above me in his capacities to enjoy you fully, he suffered in vain. And, And Jesus may smack me around a little bit, or I don't know what he's going to say, but that's what I'm going to feel, because that's what I think this text teaches. So if you are among the number who are graced, like Peter said, counting it joy that we were counted worthy to be shamed for the name. If you're among that number where it feels like you're getting a bigger dose than others, you're going to get a bigger dose beyond, I believe. Lastly, number four. Paul does not lose heart. Because, verse 18, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Now that's a different argument than all the other seven. That's not a a promise of a new blessing. That's Paul's strategy for benefiting from the blessings. So that's where we're going to end. You've heard seven now. Seven basically Encouragements and promises not to lose heart but to be renewed every day. And I'll review them as we close. But here is how do I make use of those? I mean, you just said them. You said them. Nothing's happening right now in my heart. I'm still discouraged. I hope not. I hope the Holy Spirit's already doing some lifting. But what Paul says is we look, we look. Not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. And so I'm offering you this counsel. Take this chapter and look at it. I've tried to paint it with words, but now you've got your Bibles. There are seven things to look at in verses 7 through 18 and more. And then there's the whole New Testament. And there's gold everywhere. There's beauty everywhere. There's glory everywhere to be looked at. And Paul says that's the key for him. I look. I look until I see glory. And that it's eternal and that it's heavy. And that it outweighs everything I can go through in this life. So here's the summary. Look the power of God and the life of the Son of God is manifested through your weakness. Look, number two, the life of Jesus is flowing through your suffering into the lives of other people. Number three, look, God sustains you in your afflictions and you will not be destroyed. Number four, look, your afflictions will not have the last word. You will rise from the dead with Jesus and with the people you love. Five, look, your afflictions are momentary. They are only for now, not the age to come. Six, look, your afflictions are light compared to the pleasures of what is coming which are off the charts unimaginably great. And seven, look, these afflictions are producing for you and eternal weight of glory beyond are producing, they're making, they're increasing. The suffering this afternoon that you taste has eternal benefits if you embrace it in faith. So look, focus, meditate. Father, I pray that you now do the work. You do the work of lifting our burdens. We know that our our lives are wasting away. Life is a vapor. London is a vapor. History is a vapor. And then comes the point of it all. The new heavens, the new earth, and no more sinning. Endless worship, endless service, endless satisfaction. Give us a mind to take heart and not lose heart, I pray, through Christ.